Welcome back to The Governor Show. The Governor Show is dedicated to board enthusiasts and aims to debunk the myth around board governance. The Governor Show is a series of weekly episodes featuring talented and experienced guests who will share with us their valuable experience for years. My today's guest is Nicolas Hollanders. Welcome, Nicolas. Thank you, Xavier. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Nicolas, let me introduce yourself first for the audience, right? Nicolas, you are specialized in governance design and succession, succession sorry, planning. You advise companies and families in the field of shareholder strategy, governance, executive recruitment, selection and executive succession, family talent assessment, philanthropy, and continuity planning. That's a long list of talents you have there. It's a bit like a Chinese restaurant menu, but <laughs> I think it covers <laughs> what we're trying to do. Next to your consulting activities, you serve today as the chairman of a family holding structure, controlling a large inter international industrial group. And you are also a member of a family council governing the affairs of nearly 350 descendants. How exciting does that sound, Nicola? <laughs> hmm? Absolutely. Well, as you, <laughs> as you just man. mentioned, it, it's a lot about family and, and family businesses. That's hey. what I'm really in. Exactly. And to represent you in that way, then, I have something for you to hand over to you. And um, I'm very happy to present you this object. And I check to the audience. This is a relay button for sprinters. And before handing it to you, I will explain you the symbol of this button, fitting perfectly to what you are. So the relay button is the critical element of any sprint relay to hand over. The quality of the exchange of the button between any two runners can determine success or failure. It's not good enough to have your fast printer in your team. You also must create efficient handovers. We are always say, watch the button, not the runner, right? You act somehow in the shadow of the sprinter, but remain nevertheless a crucial part of the sprint relay. Efficiently handing over, or should I say passing the button within family businesses to ensure the continuity of the success. How does that sound to you, Nicolas? It's a nice metaphor. Actually, we, we use it a lot. Um, in, in our practice, you go. we say it's about time to pass the baton. And, and I'd say it has, I mean, two aspects. One is, as you just mentioned, passing the baton from one generation to the other, from a family yes. leader to the next generation. That is one. I actually see potentially, especially in family businesses, the idea that, you know, shareholders pass the baton to a board and a board passes the baton to the CEO and the CEO passes the baton. If, if all these handovers happen smoothly and go in the same direction, actually you might have a good run. Okay, so I'm sure this is exactly what we mean today then. So I have a couple of questions for you to um, dig down the uh, large family businesses governance. My first question is, according to you, 
What is God governance? And what does it look like in family businesses? Okay, what is good governance? Actually, Xavier, what I would say is before we try to define what good governance looks like, uh -huh. I would say let's talk a little bit about what we mean with governance. Indeed. Um, because most of the time when you ask people, you know, what's your governance like and, and what's your governance about, etc., people always come to you with, well, we have a structure, we have a board, we have an assembly, we have this or that. Chairman. And so they always concentrate on the structure, okay? But you have to keep in mind, especially in a family business, that actually structure is only one of the components of a good governance system. Mm -hmm. and, and we used to say that, you know, structure is fine, structure is important, but it's actually the, the easiest thing to set up. You know, designing a structure, there are very good books uh, on, on the topic, it, it's not that difficult. What is difficult is make that structure work, which is why we leave that, you know, governance is all about what is around that structure and what supports the functioning of the structure. To give you an example, I think one of the critical components is, of course, um, the people that you put in that structure. How do you choose those people? How do you elect them? How do you appoint them? You know, what do you expect from them? Because a structure without its people is, is of course, me meaningless. The second thing is there are lots of processes uh, what, what is it that makes, you know, the board getting the information it needs from its shareholders? Family shareholders want to have impact. The reason why family shareholders actually accept very often to bind themselves and, and to lock themselves up for a long period is because they can have impact on the company and the way the, the company is managed and is conducting business. That means that unlike listed companies, even though mm -hmm. family businesses can be extremely large and, and be listed as well, there is a critical task of listening to the shareholder and likewise for the shareholder understanding what is happening at the board level, but also in, in the day-to-day -day running. So the whole information flow is, is absolutely critical. The second thing, and that is both the case at shareholder level, at board level, and obviously at executive team level, but the executive team, there is a sort of relationship of authority mm -hmm. where you have, a, you know, there is one guy that holds the steering wheel and, and the others follow his leadership. At board and shareholder level, it's much more teamwork. Sure. It's teamwork. And so the interactions between these people are critical. Again, it's not only about who you put on your board or who you put in any other committee. It's also about, are these people going to trust one another? Do we really believe that, you know, they're willing to exchange information openly and and together craft something that, that is meaningful. Sure. So good governance for me, of course, you have you need the right structure, you need the right people, and you need the right processes. And I think processes are things that we often tend to forget. We take them for granted and you define you know a little bit how your information is going to circulate. But actually do you really wonder about what sort of information people want to have, want to, what is important for them. And so there are lots of misunderstandings, misconceptions that have nothing to do with the structure, nothing to do even with the people, but just about how the whole system actually works in sync. Yeah. Yes. Do you see any difference between uh, good governance of governance in family-owned business versus governance in standard corporation or something? Do, uh, do we have some little details to make it more complex 
or more easy to handle, you see. I, will be, I would be interested to know more about these differences you, we could raise up. I don't know if you... No, no, no. I, I think, well, governing a family business is, I believe, much more complex than, you know, running a listed company. Reason is very simple. You run a listed company, you're supposed to maximize shareholder value. I mean, that is essentially what your stockholders are going to rate you on. Mm -hmm. Stock goes up happy, stock goes down unhappy. Okay. And these guys can get in and get out whenever they want. So the sanction is simply, I'm leaving you yes. or I'm coming back into the market. If you want to run a family business, and I will say a family business, a family controlled business, mm -hmm. because you know, most yeah. of the largest uh, family businesses in the world are actually stock listed. Yeah. with a big reference shareholder that is a family group. Um, you need to know a little bit more than the stock goes up or the stock goes down. You need to know what does this family want? How is this family looking at the future? What are the fundamentals that the family doesn't want to compromise on? And, and they're entitled to do that because they sort of committed to stay in the company, with the company, in the shareholding structures that they have built. So there must be a quid pro quo. They inherited something, they commit to keep it and pass it, as we will see maybe later, uh, later on. And so they're entitled to have some influence, some stronger influence. And, and what, I, um, what I often see is, is, is a sort of um, uh, confusion between you know, the role of a family member as a family shareholder mm -hmm. and the role of a family member as an executive in the company. I mean, these are two distinct differences. And the family is not there to tell the executives how they should run, how they should manage. The family is there to say, look, these are the boundaries. Yeah. This is the playing field. Within that, you can do absolutely what you want to achieve our objectives. But these are the boundaries. And it has to do very often with history, it has to do with ambitions for the family and the company. It has to do with values also. Because again, financial value is probably something important. But one thing you should not forget is actually family members, you know, the stock price is of lesser interest to them. Why? Because they're not going to sell. It's as simple as that. Does that mean that you have more uh, emotional um, behaviors uh, in those board of directors of those environment? It's more emotional? It, it, well, it's, it's more about... It can become very emotional. Um, the reason being that um, if you really attach to your family business, it's somewhat part of your identity. Mm -hmm. You know, my yeah. grandfather founded this or my great-great-great-grandfather founded this company. I own it also it's emotionally a little bit. It's mm. part of my story, my identity. Mm. So that's one of the reasons why you have to be very careful and say, okay, this is maybe my emotional state of mind. I also need to have a rational state of mind because, you know, we, we could get lost on, on, on both ends. So finding that, that balance. If you transpond that to the board of directors, um, I think there is a pretty different role for a member of the family on the board and independent members on the board. Mm -hmm. Some families tend to consider that you can only be a board member of the family company as a family member if you are as good as the independents. 
And so the assumption is that, you know, you want an equal pool of talent of people that can talk to one another along the same terms and, and, and the same, with the same education, etc. I beg to differ a little bit. I think the role of family members on the board is actually not only to help, of course, the company to go further and, and, and develop, but it's also there to say, hey, we are here representing a family. We have a mandate from the family, which is that playing field that, that we mentioned earlier. And I think it's critical for independent board members to know and understand actually what is the sort of mandate the family is giving to the company and, and, and its governance to, to, um, to execute. And, and you see a lot of companies with only independence, the, the old, yeah. well, the old, the Anglo-Saxon model. Actually, these people, the only reference again they can have about what shareholders want well, simply the stock price. Yeah. Uh, and, and since you have other drivers in the family business, let's make sure that we have family representatives bringing also that view to, uh, to the board. Keeping in mind that they're board members, they're there for all the shareholders, not only the family shareholders, but there is something additional there. Very interesting, very valuable information you share with us today. Um, we need also actually to um, touch base with the good governance transmission between family members. I think speaking about family, descendant, how, how does that sound to you? How, how should we manage that correctly? <laughs> this transmission, this baton we, we, we talk about. It, it's, it's, it's very complex. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure smiling because there is one thing that you will hear on and on and on again about transmission, leadership transmission yes. in, in the family business. And, and that is, it happens too late. You know, I've never heard anyone <laughs> in a family business telling me, nah, I think I gave it over too early. No, 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 that's not, it's always too late. You know, think when you are a, a patriarch in the family, you're willing to work until you're 80, 90, 100 years. You're going to die, you know, at your desk. And why are you going to die at your desk? Because it's your whole identity. Yes, you, you, you just can't make a difference between your professional life, working for mm -hmm. someone else, your family life, and taking care of your... It's, it's all so mingled. So I'd say first thing is succession and transmission usually happens too late, one. Two, it's happening late, um, and, and therefore it, is, it should be better prepared. Mm -hmm. And no, what you see, it's happening too late. And it's also usually ill-prepared. Again, being able for a leader to prepare for his own succession, ooh, that is tough. That is tough because, again... It could be a catastrophe sometimes, it, right? Well, it could be a catastrophe. I don't think so. I mean, okay. you can have exceptionally talented people, but, but no one is irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. The question is, is there a family member that is up to the challenge mm -hmm. of becoming the next CEO, the next chairman of the board. And that's where the whole preparation kicks in, which is to just, you know, start thinking deep about not what the company is today, where should the company go? What is the trajectory for the next 10, 15, 20 years? And so what are the sort of the type of people and competencies that we need to bring the company forward? It's very often static. And, and if you don't project yourself, well, how can you know who, who's going to be the best driver on that road? Um, so the whole preparation is also a preparation of thinking about the future of the company 
and then sort of matching that with you know what is the right type of leader for us mm -hmm. and and that's that's really taking a lot of time one two i think you don't do that just by your own you need to have someone external an expert uh, that, that, that can be an expert that can be a board committee that can be whatever you want it can be a lawyer well, a lawyer will probably yeah. uh, tell you a few interesting things about the potential consequences of term choices. I don't know that he would be able to moderate, facilitate, and and you know get the people together to mm -hmm. a common assumption of, yeah, that's what we need to do, and that's the order, yeah. that's the sequence, or or that's the time we need to. Um, um, so I, I I think if you if you're lucky, you have good people on your board who will be there when you will be handing over and so you can trust them that they're not going to do stupid things because they will have to bear the consequences and maybe sometimes some external help to yeah give some space to people who might want to share some fresh uh, air yeah all right thank you very much uh, uh nicola for this uh, enlightening us um we spoke about board composition a lot you spoke about uh, independent board member family members what would be the best composition of, for uh, a board of directors in family-owned business for you? What will be the good match, the good balance, the good competences, experts, expertise, etc.? Um, there's some That's generic competencies one, and there's some... Well, one is, um, I mean, thinking about a family business. Usually, it, you know... It, 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 the initial stage, you have the founder who is also the CEO and the chairman. He's everything. And he's, by the way, he's also the chef de famille. He, he's Indeed. the one who is driving the whole thing. Next level down, you come with brothers and sisters, you know, what we call the sibling partnership. And, and usually if one of the siblings gets to become the CEO, well, the others, you've got to find something for them. Of course, they have shares, but they should be on the board. And, and that's already, it. you know, it, it's a big step, but it's a difficult step because then, you know, you have those who are a little bit disappointed that they have not been chosen mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. be the CEO, others who don't care and don't want to care about. So that, that type of board is difficult. That's usually the time where the family says, hmm, we might need some people from the outside. And, and... Interestingly, I mean, and there can be different steps. Some families say, well, let's start, start with a sort of advisory board. Let's not give these people, we don't know them, they're not part of a family, let's not give them power, let's call them our advisors. But they will be with us when, when we meet as a board. And, and over time, maybe they become real board members. First thing is um, they usually choose people they're close to, and it can be anyone that has been you know, in a close relationship with the family for long. It can be their lawyer. It can be one of their business consultants. It can be uh, a commercial partner, whatever. But the first point that the family sees there is we have a relationship. We know each other and we trust each other. And, and, and that is the first key criteria in a family business is you got to appoint people you trust. So we're speaking about trust, not competences then? No, it starts with trust. Okay. Because the, the underlying idea is that if they earned your trust, they probably have some competencies. They, they might not be very clear in your mind, but yes, they, they, they have brought you something. They gave you something 
that you didn't have and that you needed. So there, there is the idea of, of a competency. So it always starts extending your board is, is going first on a basis of trust. And then in a later stage, you realize that actually, you know, your great friend who has been so helpful for the last five years actually know nothing about the Chinese market you would like to enter. Indeed. So you need someone. And there you move to stage two, which I would say, okay, now let's go for expertise. And, and that's then opening the way for a lot of other people that can join your board. Uh, and, and to me, there are two things. One, if as a family you want to open up your board to non-family members, don't hire one external board member, always hire two. For a very simple reasons. These two guys will be able to compare their notes. And a lot of people, when That's they are on a family uh, business board, say, I'm a little bit at a loss. I, I, I'm not sure. Did I misunderstand it? What does this family want? I, I'm, and then you can talk to your fellow board members and say, do you feel the same way? And if the two feel the same way, then together they can go to the family and say, look, both of us, and we come from very different backgrounds, but we've known you for long. We believe that we have, you know, there is an issue here that we need to talk about. And, and being on your own as the first external board member is, is, is very tough. Have you seen recently the, the rise of the new competencies? We speak about cybersecurity, we speak about uh, sustainability. Uh, are the family starting um, to uh, understand what it is and also to, to take some board member with those expertise right now? Or is still always the same process because we have new competencies uh, yep. uh, out there now? I think it, it, it's, what is interesting <laughs> here, you know, it, it's, it's an old joke, but usually the board member of the future is the CEO of the past. What I mean by that is a lot of people first, you know, have a successful career as a CEO and then get on boards. But actually they come to boards with their experience, yes. but they're probably at the end of their um, uh, of their possibilities when it comes to, well, not the end, but reinventing the future might be a little bit more difficult. So, yes, I think there is. Um, and to me, it's not so much a question of family business versus, you know, non-family business. There is there is huge pressure. Uh, from the markets, from, you know, even from your own employees to say, you know, I'm happy to work with you. I'm happy to work with this company. But, you know, what's the meaning of all this? I understand you want to make money, but can we add that meaning? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit old, but I have kids that are anywhere in their early 20s to early 30s. And I am so happy to, to listen to them talk about all these questions that I frankly, I'm happy to ask myself now, I wasn't bothered by that 35 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's a wonderful sign that yes, putting sense, meaning, intentions in whichever Values. activity, including your, um, your, your, uh, your enterprise, that, that, that's absolutely fantastic. So they're going to break some of our models. You know, um, we, absolutely. We, we won't survive all, Much. Uh, <laughs> but... I think it's it's just I mean it's extremely positive, and so coming back to your question, yes, there is a push, and and I mean I know nothing about cybersecurity, so I, I won't be able to answer that. But I think you know deciding at which level you should have your expertise between the board and your executive management has always been you know, a question that comes back and comes back and comes back. 
Um, I think you have to at least make sure that your board members are capable of asking questions and understand and understand the answer that comes back. That's the old lawyer in me that says, I know nothing, but I think I'm able to put out a question and find out where the answer is. That, that to me should be the, uh, that is the most important competency that a board member should have is being able to ask questions and understand the answer, which means they should also have a little bit of knowledge of the industry, the competition, etc. And so I think in terms of uh, sustainability, um, that's, that's a big one. That's a huge, that you can cut in so many different pieces. I mean, making sure that one, your board member, maybe he's not an expert, but he's intrigued. He mm -hmm. wants to do more. He's happy to go to a couple of extra meetings to meet with your new sustainability team or whatever, or explore projects that you do. I think maybe simple to say that intellectual curiosity, mm -hmm. learning agility for a board member of, of whichever age is, is, is critical. I have another question. I'll jump to, uh, are those board members well informed about market intelligence, contextual, uh, market mechanism, uh, the last acquisition in their fields? Uh, do they weed? Are they feed by different sources? Are they come well savvy at the board? This is something uh, I'm always curious to hear. I'll answer like a, a Normand. <laughs> Ça dépend. It depends. <laughs> Honestly, I think yes and no. Yes, because most of the time, the boards that, that we work with get, you know, extensive presentations, uh, huge decks of 400 slides. I mean, the, the amount of information they receive is, I would say, on average, pretty good. I mean, there are okay. high standards. The issue for me is more an issue of how, many of the, of how much of that information sticks with you. Mm -hmm. You know, there's only so much space in your head and you're running around with, with lots of things in your mind. So one of the questions for me is board members that come to you every two months, maybe every six weeks or four weeks, whichever. It's only at certain intervals. I'm always surprised and, and at the same time I understand how often you hear the question, well, wait a minute, um, was that the presentation we had four months ago? Okay. Because I don't exactly remember. Oh yeah, okay, okay. So still talking about that issue, that project, whatever. So you have to think as uh, of a board member, as someone who you know plugs in and then leaves, and plugs in again and leaves. Well, at the moment he leaves the board and goes on with his life, and then comes back. How do you replug all the things that Indeed. need to be replugged? So the, the, the information, I think, might be there somewhere. It's been mm -hmm. given. But how do you make sure that... And it's the same with shareholders. I mean, I see it. Families usually meet as shareholders twice a year mm -hmm. you know, in a big assembly. And you should always keep in mind that, hey, let's first recap where we left each other six months ago. You remember... You quickly, you know, a petit résumé, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Okay, now we're going to enter the next stage in the discussion. Otherwise, they would say, I'm, I'm at a loss. I, I, I missed something. Yeah, six months have gone. 
and, and in the six months, so much can happen. You always need to be able to reconnect yes. and, and pick up the thread where you left it uh, so that people are engaged in an ongoing way as opposed to, you know, you open a window, you know, like on a train and you see uh, some scenery and then you cut the window and, and three months later you open it again and you say, oh, mm -hmm. where are we here? Well, if you don't explain to me that the train has gone from here to there, I'm lost. Because they have to vote. They have to vote on strategic matters. They have to vote on, on maybe coming acquisitions. And they need to be well informed to yeah. engage with the CEO as well. Don't you think? In, uh, certainly uh, much more so in a family business where the relationship and the engagement level of, of shareholders vis-a-vis uh, -vis their family council, the board of directors, etc. Again, it's, it's something that's close because they want it to be close. And I think if they want it to be close, which is fine, they also need to have the tools, the information, the understanding, so that they can make an informed decision. And an informed decision sometimes is just say, I don't know, but I trust you board to do the right things. Mm. Or I don't think this is right. And I don't want you board to do that. So that exchange, you know, it's probably closer to the exchange that you can have between a CEO and a board um, um, in, in, in any capitalistic company that is, you know, owned by thousands of people, uh, the shareholders here and the board have a sort of also closer relationship than you would normally expect when they meet once a year. The, the system, you know, the capitalist system of a stock-listed company is very simple. You vote on the dividend and you vote to appoint your board. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Yes. That's all you have to decide. Pretty simple. Fine. And, and since you can't decide much, well, <laughs> the, the, the sort of the counterpart is that you can get in and get out anytime you want. Just call your broker and say, sell it, I'm done. That doesn't work like that in a family company. Yes, thank you very much, Nicola. It's such exciting to hear you speak about board matters. <laughs> and then I have a personal question for you. What moves you in board matters? What moves you in that space? Uh, coincidence, hmm. will, opportunity, you see? Because board matters is not really something, ooh, well, some, we, we are here to debunk the myth. So, okay. uh, well, I think initially, you know, I was a lawyer long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then I managed to get out of that. Uh, <laughs> but there, I still have some, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a few things that stick. But what I find so intriguing is that you can build the, the, the best possible system, governance system, and if you don't understanding what sort of in people's mind, what are their intentions, what are they hoping for, etc. If you don't know how these human beings interact and, and, and can align on, on objectives, um, as I said, you're getting nowhere. And what I find fascinating is the combination, let's call it maybe the combination of the, the hard structures and mm -hmm, rules mm -hmm. and the soft, which is the personalities and to see that actually the same structure with different people produces a totally different results and, and that I find just extraordinary too. So it's a, a bit on the edge of psychology. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> I have absolutely no qualifications, Me neither. but I'm interested in the human reasoning and, and the way actually people form their decisions because mm -hmm. governance is about getting information, discussing information and making decisions. 
getting information okay you can have you know low quality high quality low volume high volume you can discuss the technicalities of the information the, the dynamics of the discussion that's also much more interesting already and then coming to the decision who makes the decision and why is that or that person entitled to make a decision how do we make sure that he or she makes the right decision that's that's a fascinating never-ending world uh, what an exciting conversation Nicola, today it's really interesting. I think uh, I, I learned a lot. And if I learn a lot about family <laughs> businesses, I'm sure the audience will learn a lot as well. Um, can I ask you something, a favor? Uh, uh, could you please relay the baton to the governor shelf here? Ah, and the shelf is going to continue to remind you that you, oh, you can put it here. Perfect. Uh, just in the middle. Here we go. Yes. Again, thank you very much for your presence today. Thank you for what, inviting me. It was, was, it was a pleasure. Yes. And this closed the chapter about family-owned business and the governance around that uh, subject. Uh, please follow us on our social media. Share if you enjoy. Check our website. I would like to thank you again and see you next time.